0: Welcome to the Military Psychology Podcast Network. The Society for Military Psychology, Division 19 of the American Psychological Association is producing several series applying psychological principles in military settings. We'll feature topics including diversity, consulting, behavioral health in the military and specialty areas. We address the question, what is military psychology and answer it a number of ways follow the Society for Military Psychology at www.militarypsych.org.
1: The Intro to Military Psychology podcast is an official podcast by the Society for Military Psychology, Division 19 of the American Psychological Association. It does not represent the position of the American Psychological Association or any of its other divisions or subunits. The contents, views, or opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the Department of Defense, Uniformed Service University, Department of the Army, Navy, or the Air Force. Welcome. Welcome back to the show. This week, we are going to be discussing a timely and uh, very exciting bit of information that I've been looking forward to keen. I know we've been talking about wanting to have this on the show for a while. We're going to be talking about Army psychology and how to get into Army psychology and what the training opportunities look like. So I have the pleasure of welcoming two very impressive guests onto the show. We have Captain Thomas Ballas, currently completing his internship in clinical psychology at Fort Sam Houston at Brook Army Medical Center. And we also have Captain Contessa Tracy, who is also completing her internship program at the same site. And just welcome to the both of you. Keen and I are just so grateful to have you on the show and uh, really excited to really get into this topic about Army psychology and and really how you guys got into it. And you all both have pretty unique backgrounds. So why don't we go ahead and kick it off with an Army-specific disclaimer, Tess?
0: Yeah, Ethan, thank you so much for having us. Keen as well. Thank you so much for having us. I'm very excited to have this conversation. So yes, Just quickly, as a disclaimer, the views that Thomas and I, Captain Ballas and I, express—they are not the views of the Army. They're not the views of Army MedCom, and they're not the views of Brooke Army Medical Center. They are our own.
1: Excellent.
2: Like Tess said, Ethan and Keen, thanks for having us on, and we're excited.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's go ahead and start with just briefly. I know you both individually outside of this setting, but can you tell us each? Where did you go to school? What got you interested in military psychology? And how'd you find your way here? Captain Ballas, I'm wondering if you'd be willing to start. Sure,
2: yeah. So I went to school for my doctorate at Fairleigh Dickinson University. My interest in military psychology actually started out during my master's program at University of Dayton. I was working in a homeless shelter in Dayton, Ohio, and Mm. had a lot of experiences working with homeless veterans. When I was running support groups frequently there. That was focused a lot on veterans' experiences in the military and their mental health afterwards, and Mm -hmm. that kind of piqued my initial interest. And then from there, I started exploring options on how to get involved, trying to have my externships or training experiences align with both trauma work as well as the military population. Mm -hmm. And then through that interest and and through that initial curiosity, I came upon a variety of different scholarships and ways to actually join the military. Mm -hmm. That ended up, you know, me accepting a health profession scholarship through the Army and then getting involved that way.
1: Throughout your training,
2: did you do any work in a formal VA? I did not, actually. So I opted out. And instead of the training schedules, it's never really aligned for me to, to have an externship in a VA. I actually worked at New York Presbyterian slash Columbia Medical Center in Manhattan. That was a specific veterans-focused track to where we were doing evidence-based treatments disseminating them directly with veterans and families of veterans. So that was my kind of direct association with the military population actually before turning into active
1: duty. Fantastic. So we'll get a little bit more into the HPSP process and program in the Army, I think a little bit later in the show, but Captain Tracy, why don't you go ahead and fill us in about your background?
0: Yeah. So I first joined the military in 2008, December 28th, to be exact, who's counting? Um, (laughs) And as a a cross-trained combat medic and chemical operations enlisted soldier, did some fun things with the North Carolina National Guard, and then enrolled in ROTC at the North Carolina A&T State University, and also went to college at UNC Greensboro. Then commissioned as a military intelligence officer, served at the First Information Operations Command within their embedded reserve unit, and then started my graduate program at the Chicago School of Professional Psychology in Washington, D.C. Had pretty much known from the beginning that I wanted to continue my service in the Army and just pretty much, you know, seeked out practicum experiences and things to that nature to get me set up to apply to the Army Clinical Psychology Internship Program.
1: I'm just so curious, what made you make the switch from intelligence officer in the Army to psychology? How did that come to be?
0: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of overlap. There's, you know, their intelligence support to a lot of different. Information operations, if you will. I know we know IO is IO psychology, but then there's IO information operations within the kind of under the scope of military intelligence. So, anyway, there's also psychological operations or what the Army now calls a MISO integration. There's a lot of overlap there. So, there was just a lot that came up about it. And I was like, listen, you know, I, I had an interest in forensic psychology. My first master's is in forensic psychology, but ultimately, I said, you know, I figured out through mentors that if I wanted to pursue a career in uh, army psychology, I needed to have a degree in clinical psychology. And so that's what I did. So that could be an intern.
1: Got it. Okay. So there are some similarities in those career fields. I can hear that, and definitely in my experience, have have noticed some of that as well. I'm I'm actually so I just PCS to a new duty station, and it's an Intel base. It's, it's Air Education Training Command Base, Goodfellow Air Force Base, and the primary population is is intelligence training. So both enlisted and officer training. So I'm getting more used to the language and the information as a part of of that community. Captain Tracy, as I look over sort of your research interests, suicide prevention, resiliency, performance improvement, I'm kind of curious in your prior service experience before getting trained as a clinical psychologist, Did you ever work with a lot of people in your time in service who were struggling with mental health? And Mm -hmm. was that a big drive for you to come back to the Army as a psychologist? Mm -hmm. What kind of things ping in your brain when I ask you that?
0: Yeah, great, great question. I don't think anybody's ever asked me that. Um, So I knew that I was in this graduate program and I knew that I wanted to pursue a career in Army psychology. So I pretty much set myself up to do things that would, I guess, educate me to be able to do so. So I was a brigade suicide prevention officer where essentially you're educating the masses or the individuals in that organization about suicide prevention and risk and getting individuals to the right resources or connected to the right resources. I also did the master resiliency training at Camp Parks, California, which is really about like performance enhancement, improvement, whatever word you like to choose. Anyway, so through those types of programs, yes, I definitely had conversations with enlisted officer, high-ranking junior enlisted, you know, junior officer, everyone in between about just mental health in the military and this desire to reduce The stigma towards mental health in the military. Also, coming from the MI background, you know, there's this like nasty rumor out there of like, oh, if you seek behavioral health, you're getting your clearance yanked away. And that's just not true. We have policies in place that say otherwise. And then also, I served as a sharp victim advocate. So I also saw, learned about mental health through that lens as well. So definitely, there were definitely a lot of opportunities that I had in the military that just continued to shape and influence me to pursue this career path.
3: Got it. Tess, would you say more about like, what is SHARP for those who may not be familiar with that?
0: Yeah, sure. SHARP. So sexual harassment, assault, response, prevention. <laughs> yes, I, I think, or response Anyway, yes, <laughs> yes. So
3: it's, it's to prevent mm-hmm. sexual assault, sexual harassment, educating the folks about that. And I think it's a, it's a pretty big topic nowadays. And so you're doing that as a am I officer, you were saying?
0: Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at the brigade level.
3: Wow. So uh, at what point did you decide that you're going to pursue clinical psychology? And also before we go to that, are you also HPSP like Thomas?
0: No, I did not. So I was previously at the American School of Professional Psychology under the umbrella of Argosy University, and then we obviously know what happened with that. For those, the listeners who don't know, the, the, the school shut down essentially, so the Chicago School of Professional Psychology absorbed us. Yeah, I knew from beginning in 2016 when I started the program, I wanted to pursue Army psychology. So I really just, again, seeked out opportunities that would help me do that. Argosy at that time was not accepting the HPSP. So I didn't pursue that.
3: Yeah. And I asked that question because I've been hearing more and more currently serving officers are enlisted in different professions asking the same question. I am a supply officer. I'm in logistics or I'm in this or that profession, but nothing related to psychology. How can I be a part of it? And Ethan, you know, opened up the conversation today by saying that. There is a range of people, a range of like, you know, diverse uh, people joining. And I think that's very crucial to say that if you didn't start in a clinical psychology background, there are a lot of opportunities in the military that can facilitate that, that career path for you. So you went to school at Argosy in 2016 while serving? Yes. Wow. And, and then that's hard. So for listeners who don't know, that's really hard, you know, being active duty and also getting a degree at the same time. I've uh, mentioned in the podcast before. I I was prior army enlisted, and then uh, switch over to officer in the navy in the clinical psychology field. And the switch was a uh, pretty difficult. You know, first there are two things happening here: me enlisted to to officer, and then there is also the uh, switching branch from army to navy, which is we can have like five episodes on this podcast talking <laughs> about that transition. But but mm-hmm. I won't bel- belabor the point. But for you as an officer coming from uh, MI military intelligence to clinical psychology, was it also a, a, like an arduous process or was it very easy for you to switch?
0: Great question. In terms of the officership part of it, no. I've just continued to hone those skills and just trying to improve my leadership abilities and things to that nature. And I'm blessed to have a wonderful cohort. I mean, I, I know uh, Captain Ballas will, will probably speak to this as well, but we just we get along, we get each other, we work well with each other. There really wasn't this sense of like competition amongst us. You know, we all bring such valuable things to the table and we were open to learning from each other. So of course I could, you know, help my battle buddies out and learning what does it mean to be an officer, how to wear the uniform correctly, like how to write an OER, but Captain Dallas is, you know, he's, I mean, a brainiac. He's absolutely smart. He knows all about these like different evidence-based treatment modalities and stuff. So I'm like taking notes from him. So we help each other out. That's what it's all about. If anybody listening, if you're thinking about joining the military, you got to be able to work as a team, just point blank, period. And so,
2: yeah. Yeah, I think that's a great point, Tess. And, and something that I want to highlight is you know, your unique experience is significantly different from my own with kind of my experience prior to joining and my pipeline to getting to where we're currently at. And it's scary, you know, not knowing anything really about the military um, and how it operates and the different kind of things that you might be exposed to. And then putting on that uniform for that first day of active duty, feeling a little lost, and then being able to actually turn to the people who have a lot of prior service experience to your right or to your left and learning from them and understanding that, again, you are part of that team and they, the people have invaluable experience that you can use to not only grow and develop as an officer, but also a clinical psychologist. And they can use from you, you know, if with your civilian background and different types of experiences that you've had in your training to this point. So I think it's been a great experience to have multiple you know, backgrounds and a diverse educational experience and, and kind of pipeline to the same position that we're all at now as, as interns at Brooke Army Medical Center.
1: Ballas, I'm curious, what made you choose the Army over the other branches? How did you come to that?
2: That's a great question. So at, at a point in time during my graduate school, I realized a part of me wanted to give back, wanted to serve. I'm a second generation immigrant from Greece. So my grandparents came over here with virtually nothing they took advantage of the opportunities that were here and were able to build a significantly better life than they could have had over there. And then my parents were able to go to college and, and were first generation to ever get a college degree. And then now I'm the first generation to ever go this far in, in graduate education. So I felt very grateful for that. And I wanted to be able to you know, give back to the country that allowed so much of me and my family. And for the Army specifically, to be frank, I found that they had the best scholarship opportunities there was something that something logistical about this 2 year HPSP scholarship when some of the other branches only had one and you know with my graduate school in the New Jersey New York City area things are expensive so there was a part of me that saw this initially and then really dug deeper into the different kind of career opportunities and the experience of what it would be like to be an army psychologist after i saw that initial kind of financial package i really started to dive into you know, what would it be like to be an embedded psychologist? What would it be like to be this behavioral health officer? And then what are the true kind of Army values? And they matched up well. So it kind of you know piqued my initial interest with understanding the scholarship. And the other branches have scholarships too, but I believe the Army was the only one with the two-year package, unless you go to UCIS or, or one of that specific program. And then you know after initially seeing it, just really identifying with kind of what the career trajectory looks like and what it would mean like to be an Army officer.
1: Awesome. Yeah. Th- thanks for sharing that. Yeah. I think, you know, the scholarships offered by the other branches change at any given time. What they're offering can be different. I'm HPSP or was, I guess I should say, with the Air Force and got a three-year scholarship with them. So
2: that's fantastic. Yeah.
1: <laughs> whatever is available Yeah, at any given time is definitely variable. And you got to speak with a recruiter to figure that out. But what I heard from that was the opportunities that the Army offered Throughout your career, really is what piqued your interest and got you really curious about. Well, if I did do this, you know, financially, obviously, we know graduate school is expensive in psychology. Um, but if I did get into this, what kind of career would I have? And and that's kind of where I want to transition our conversation here today is what is unique about the army and what is unique being a psychologist in that organization. And we'll get to that. But I first want to kind of ask. You know, you guys brought up your your training program. What training programs are available for the Army? Where are they? What's unique about them? And why did you all pick BAMC to do it?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. I can start off and kind of do a brief overview of the different ones. So we are at Brook Army Medical Center, BAMC at Fort Sam Houston in San Antonio, Texas. The Army has four programs overall. The other one's at Madigan Army Medical Center at Joint Base Lewis-McChord. That's in in Washington. Then we have Tripler Army Medical Center in Honolulu. So Hawaii, you get some nice tropical environments there. And then Womack Army Medical Center at Fort Bragg. So each of these programs has, they're very similar. Obviously, everything's APA accredited and all have their strengths. And each one also has their own kind of unique things about them. You know, if you're at Fort Bragg, you're exposed to a lot of special forces type and operational type psychology things that are going on there potentially. And then, you know, with being at Brook Army Medical Center, I think that it's a very unique experience just given it's the home of Army medicine. So we're where the cutting edge things happen with Army medicine and Army psychology. And to me, that was what jumped out on interview day was this idea of being kind of where Army medicine is stationed at and, and you know, its headquarters was exciting. And the environment and the people in our our leadership were really supportive and, and really cultivated a great experience so far and throughout the whole process.
0: Yeah. So I'll just like jump in and just like caveat, like what Captain Ballas just spoke about. So yes, we have Brook Army Medical Center, Madigan Army Medical Center, Tripler Army Medical Center, and Womack Army Medical Center. And yeah, they all offer their unique, different like things. However, for the most part, all of the sites are training us to be able to go out to be a behavioral health officer. So you're going to be essentially going to a brigade level or brigade size element that could range from anywhere between 2,000 to 5,000 service members. You also may potentially be in an organization that has civilians and contractors as well as service members in uniform. You may be assigned to a brigade uh, size element as the sole behavioral health officer, or you may be there with one other battle buddy typically possibly a social worker. Okay. So all of these sites are really training us to be able to get to that organization, help them out with their behavioral health needs, also serve as a consultant, psychology consultant to that brigade commander, how to implement some process improvement programs, how to develop processes and programs that will help the organization, how to best serve these individuals so that they can be the most effective service members and leaders for their organization. And
2: I think that embedded nature of what the behavioral health officer does on our kind of first duty rotation is is pretty unique to the Army and does offer a lot of really great services that we can provide to the brigade as clinical psychologists that they might not be
1: aware of or able to do on their own. It's really interesting how you all are Basically, being trained to be embedded providers. And I think that's actually really unique. And that's, I think, answering the question of like, what is different about entering the army than entering the Air Force or entering the, you know, joining the Navy and and doing this psychology thing? I know for me, I'm not an embedded provider. I don't, I don't consider myself an embedded provider. I work in a clinic and see patients who come in for care. And I also do population-level things on base. But it sounds like such a unique thing to be that potentially one or you know one of two providers in a very large group, or for a very large group, a very large command, I guess I should say. I'm really curious... So in the Army, as I understand it, when you finish your internship, and that's coming up for the both of you, you guys are about to complete your your doctoral degrees. And yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolute congratulations. It's a huge milestone. What happens next? What comes after that when you do an Army internship?
0: Yeah, so I'll jump in and then Thomas can finish up. So typically, you go on to the clinical... Psychology residency program. Each of the sites that we listed earlier have a residency program. The Tripler Army Medical Center and the Madigan Army Medical Centers are both of their residency programs are APA accredited. Whereas the Brook Army Medical Center and Womack Army Medical Center and Madigan Army Medical Center have APA accredited residency programs. Tripler and Brook Army Medical Centers are not APA accredited. It really is not much of a difference whether you're at a residency program that's APA accredited or not. It just allows, when it's not APA accredited, it allows for a little bit more flexibility in your training experience. So, really, for it to be individualized to some degree. And so, anyway, you don't have to necessarily do clinical psychology residency program. There is some paperwork, as we know, all of us in the military uh, on here know that to be true. There is some paperwork that you can sign to opt out of residency program. But it is one of those things what we like to call in the Army. I'm sure you all hear this foot stomp, right? We foot stomp hey, take that additional training opportunity because you are going to be getting ready to go to be an embedded behavioral health officer. And why not get some additional training experience so that in the event that you are the sole provider, when you go there, you are more than well equipped with, which, with the resources that you need to help that organization.
2: Go ahead, Thomas. Yeah, no, I think that you did a great job in kind of describing the benefits of residency or postdoc, as it's commonly called in the civilian world. Not only do you get additional supervision and preparation for actually going out to your unit and being able to do your job in a great way, but you also are still earning these supervised clinical hours that can help you use it for licensure at whatever state it is that you want to get licensed at. And in this time between internship and residency, you also have what we call here at Brook Army Medical Center, this this snowbird period to where you get the opportunity to actually go out and do some pretty neat Army-specific things. So in the next month or so, we'll be going down to Fort Rucker and we'll be doing an AeroMed psychology course, which allows us to get an understanding on how to do evaluations for AeroMed and kind of what goes into all of that. And then I specifically, since I, I don't have a prior basic officer's leadership course, I'll be going to the army medical version of basic officer's leadership course that's actually here in San Antonio. So there's a lot of military unique trainings that happen in between this time period prior to jumping into a residency that then allows you to, again, be in the best position for when you're fully done at your joint internship residency site. You can jump right into your role as a behavioral health officer and be successful.
0: Yeah. And I'll jump in really quickly. One more thing. We also have this protected time to be able to study for our EPPP. So for all of our listeners, that's the beauty of opting to go into the residency program. So from the time you graduate, in our case, we graduate October 7th. Congratulations, early congratulations, Battle (laughs) uh, Thomas. (laughs) And so we essentially have from October to March, of course, within the addition with some of these military specific trainings, but between October and March of next year to get started with our EPPP studying and hopefully get licensed by the time we officially start residency in late March, April.
3: And EPPP is it's a licensing requirement. It's like this uh, battery, it's kind of like GRE or entrance exam that people have for psychologists to be able to practice. And yeah, If you have uh, studied any uh, standardized exam, LSAT, SAT, GRE, EPP is a very difficult exam and people usually, you know, spend a lot of time doing that, which again, a congratulation Tess and Thomas for uh, making it through uh, so far. Thank you. Thank
1: you. It's actually kind of refreshing to hear how thoughtful the Army was in developing your path for interns then to go on to complete the residency and or postdoc, however you want to call that. And then build in like really amazing opportunities like an AeroMed course or EEEP study time. I mean, that's like that's super valuable. And for those listening, I know the Air Force doesn't necessarily offer that. Not saying it's a bad thing because we get, you know, we kind of get thrusted through and right into the position and and you're off running kind of once you graduate. But it's really nice to hear how thoughtful that is. My question and curiosity that I had in my head is, if you choose to do your internship at BAMC, do you then have to do your residency at BAMC? Or can you then apply for that follow on training at any of those sites?
0: Yeah. So it's another one of those things, paperwork. <laughs> um, you have to kind of make the case that you want to switch to a, another site for residency program. And actually, there's just a lot of like processes that go into it. But essentially, if you are going to opt into the residency program, you do typically stay at your same location.
1: Okay. So, just another consideration for those in the application process or thinking about really, you know, really thinking about a pursuing army is th- that's a commitment, you know? So, that's you're talking three years. And in your case, in San Antonio, Texas, not a horrible place to be. Loved it when I was there. So, wherever you're going to be, that's where you're going to be. Wouldn't hurt, you know, to be in Hawaii for three years. I'm just saying. Um, <laughs> that's awesome. I'm wondering if we can spend a little bit of time talking about the unique specifics of the training program at BAMC since you're most familiar with that. I know you guys have a neuropsych rotation. I assume you all work in an outpatient clinic. Can you talk about like what does a typical year look like there?
2: Sure. So, you know, I think what what is pretty unique about BAMC is, you know, like I mentioned, it's the home of Army medicine. So a lot of really cool stuff is happening. For me, one of the probably most unique things that I, I was able to do as a psychologist trainee so far that I didn't expect to do was Get involved on our clinical health rotation, which is essentially working with individuals who had been recently diagnosed with some kind of medical issue and are having mental health symptoms associated with coping with the outcomes of that, with what's happening to them whether it be cancer or chronic pain, fibromyalgia, and then even learning about bariatric surgeries and, and how to conduct bariatric evaluations and mental health clearances and actually even having the opportunity to go into the operating room and observe one of those surgeries in real life, which was really cool. So that's you know one of these unique rotations that I think If you weren't at kind of a medical hub, it might be difficult to have happen. And then we also have a rotation at our Child and Family Behavioral Health Services sector or clinic, which is really focused on learning how to work with families of military individuals and children and and kind of understanding the impacts of the parents' military service and how that can impact a child's behavioral health symptoms or mental health symptoms or behavioral experiences and working with the family as a system and kind of understanding and getting exposure to a population that you oftentimes maybe don't associate with the military population but most certainly is impacted by you know the events of the military
0: yeah, so Thomas just listed the two electives that we have or the two possible elective rotations that we have at BMC. Essentially, you would put forward to the supervisors what your desired rotation is, and then they make a selection. And typically what they try to do is that, you know, it. let's say if someone comes in and really wants to do the health rotation, but they end up getting assigned to the child rotation, there's going to be that opportunity when you go to residency program. For you to try to pursue doing the health rotation on residency okay so they really try to get you that experience so in terms of our core rotations one of the reasons why i really loved bmc is our evidence-based treatment rotation so that's a year-long rotation you're working with individuals presenting with ptsd related concerns and you learn three different treatment modalities so we learn cognitive processing therapy for ptsd we learn Prolonged exposure therapy for PTSD. And then we also learn acceptance and commitment therapy that could be used in the treatment of PTSD or some other concerns, such as I know I have a patient with a postpartum depression. So learning act as well. So I love that. It's one year long rotation, and you really get to really get that experience underneath your belt. As you said, we have the neuropsychology rotation where you're learning about assessment, a variety of different patients that present there. You are administering, scoring, interpreting, and writing the report on that rotation. So lots of great experience, wonderful supervision over there. Then we have our adult multi-D outpatient clinic. It's very (laughs) self-descriptive. It's an outpatient clinic where you have that flexibility to do a lot of different treatment modalities, a lot of variety of patients that come in. And then we have our campus rotation, which is also very unique to our footprint because we are there where the Air Force trainees just over at Lackland are doing basic training. We also have uh, Camp Bullis, where that is housed uh, for a lot of military intelligence organizations. We also have a lot of folks coming on JBSA or, excuse me, Fort Sam Houston proper, either completing basic officer leadership course, captain's career course. We have the uh, dog handlers course on post. So anyway, anybody coming to Fort Sam Houston as a trainee in any capacity would be seen at the Campus Behavioral Health Clinic, and which is also an outpatient clinic, but specifically for anybody that's in a training capacity.
2: And I think with the campus, it's really a really great experience because you have the opportunity to do walk-in triage services and get an exposure to sometimes clients who are in acute crises at those moments and are uh, really working to get them as best of help as you can and, you know, ensuring their safety, which which can be challenging and also really, really needed in those moments to people who are just transitioning potentially into military service for the first time, connecting them to mental health services as, as soon as possible. And then a very unique part of campus too, which I personally appreciated a lot, was the opportunity to supervise our 68 x-rays, which are our behavioral health technicians. So actually having the opportunity to act in a supervisory role and kind of distill some of all this clinical knowledge we've learned to people who are in the military, don't necessarily have as much clinical training as we do with our PhDs or masters, whatever it is, and helping them grow and helping them learn and also develop as clinicians because a lot of them have interest in transitioning to providers at some point in time. So it's a really great and cool experience to be able to do that as well as a trainee ourselves.
1: This campus rotation is one that really interests me a lot. I've actually never never heard of this. Uh, so this is the first time I've, I've ever been introduced to this being a thing. Seems like a really awesome opportunity to work with really a vulnerable population. I mean, I'm sure many of those people are probably quite young, maybe potentially the first time they've been away from family, support system, home. And they're in a high-stress environment. So they're in military training, which at times can be quite difficult and exhausting and i bet that's probably a place where you're able to blend your other training opportunities that you've had say for example like the health psychology rotation i'm sure many of them struggle with sleep and eating you know who knows from a health perspective you know what's striking me about you you all sharing the abundance of training opportunities here is is how well-rounded it is keen i'm wondering if you've sort of been having the same reaction to this and maybe I don't know, maybe you'd be willing to share how it compares to your Navy training.
3: Yeah. And I think what Thomas was saying early on about training uh, 68 x-rays, which is behavioral technician in the civilian equivalent would be mental health paraprofessional, somebody who is getting trained to be a part of the uh, mental health care system, but not necessarily qualified to practice uh, independently. And that really relates to what both you, you know, Tess and Thomas, both of you as embedded provider down the road. Those are some of your challenges, which are unique to military providers, but, you know, more so for an army psychologist. And I want to say just tying in into, you know, army psychology and what's so unique about army psychology is that down the road you'll see patients but you'll also be serving as a consultant you'll be serving as a um, to your boss essentially telling them hey you know what will be the best way to do certain things and on top of that you'll have soldiers under your care to see x-rays who will be assisting you in providing care in that way and so you're getting trained to do that future job you know through that that campus rotation i think that's you know very, very unique as far as that goes it's only at uh, a and not at a uh, tripler or Womac other places
0: the campus rotation is unique to BAMC given that we are there in the footprint where trainees are coming. And I'd be remiss without saying, uh, Captain Ballas and I and our other battle buddies, we just did an award ceremony for our 68 x-rays that worked with all of us on the campus rotation. And we really just wanted to take the time to appreciate them for the enormous amount of value that they do bring to the Department of Behavioral Health at BAMC. And one thing that stuck with me since yesterday is the uh, high-speed first sergeant that came in uh, from troop command. You know, we love our NCOs who are the backbone of the Army. But he said some beautiful words about he was raised in the Army as a combat medic. He said he was trained to address these acute needs, right, the medical needs of the service member downrange in combat and things to that nature. He said, but he loves our 68 x-rays because they address the lingering concerns the concerns that service members have that you really can't see and just how valuable their work is to the organization. That really stuck with me. And I definitely am going to be borrowing those words as I move on to different organizations and meet, meet our techs.
1: And I think the work that all of us are doing on the mental health side within the Department of Defense is extremely valuable. I think I meet a lot of people who are like, wow, it's so important. And we really need folks." doing this, whether it's our behavioral health techs or our clinical psychologists and our social workers and our paraprofessionals that work in other offices. So I think we are definitely just with this podcast, you know, trying to encourage students like, you know, this is a valuable thing to get into. There's there's a lot you can do. And I, I think this conversation so far has really evidenced that there's so many opportunities if you get this kind of training to do unique things. And I kind of want to shift the conversation a little bit to what kind of unique things you will be doing once you all get out of training in the army. Tess, I want to go back to something that you said at the very beginning of the show, talking about being an embedded provider in a brigade. And maybe you can explain, you know, to the person who doesn't know Army anything, you know, what really is a brigade and how will you serve, like Keen said, as a consultant to them. Maybe outside of clinical roles, it's one thing to do treatment. It's another thing to do research and to be tracking the health of the force and the resiliency of the force and making recommendations to commanders. I know we do a little bit of that in the in the Air Force, but how does that look in the Army? And and how is that unique and timely to what's going on in the Army now?
0: Yeah. So I'll preface by saying, you know, I'm still in training, um, so anything that I say here and Thomas is going to jump in for sure. This is based off of what we have been told or prepared, (laughs) um, rather, uh, that we're going to be doing. Hopefully, maybe, you know, at a later time, we can get somebody invited on here that can speak to actually, you know, what the job is. But what we've been told is exactly what you just described. We are there and we are a command brigade commander's asset. Okay, like we are a part of his special staff. We are there to help him or him or her better this organization and make sure that it is performing to its optimal speed, if you will. So yes, there is a little bit some, some of that uh, research opportunity in the sense of doing unit needs assessments, addressing what are the needs of the organization, kind of going beyond that command climate survey. And again, how can we make this organization better to serve its people? We are doing some of the clinical work, you know, seeing patients and helping them again get to that optimal level of performance, so that they can continue doing their job. We are, you know, consulting with commands and saying, "Hey, you know, is it time to for this person to take a knee, you know, or, or is it time for this person to get some additional care so that they can again be able to perform to their optimal level?" Thomas, you want to jump in?
2: Yeah, no, I think that that last part is really important as well. As oftentimes, you know, command can. From our understanding, command can kind of see that a soldier might be having a hard time, but they're unsure as to what's going on. So they might direct them to come get an evaluation with behavioral health. And through these evaluations, we can oftentimes figure out and, and work with the soldier to figure out, you know, what's going on in that command scene, and then what are our recommendations to, you know, help get this individual back to being mission ready. Because ultimately, that's the goal is to have a mission ready force that can perform when needed. And that's, you know, what we're there to support. It's also worth mentioning that we'll be getting on our residency year a much more thorough look at what this job is actually going to look like for us. We do a about a three-month rotation up at Fort Hood, so about three hours or so away from Brook Medical Center. And we'll then be working with one of the embedded behavioral health officers up there at Fort Hood, typically within a, a combat brigade, and learning the role kind of hands-on and, and getting a much clearer understanding, which I also think is a pretty unique experience for you know Brook Army Medical Center because we are so close to one of the largest bases that the Army has to offer. And then being able to get up there and, and actually see firsthand what it is that we're going to be doing when we transition to our first duty station is pretty cool. And again, I think just a reiterate Tess's point about the unit needs assessment, you know, that can oftentimes allow us to look at some data about how the unit's responding to their access to care, their utilization of behavioral health services, how they're maybe viewing leadership or command and and help command identify areas that they might not be aware of that could be improved on and, and making recommendations after we've identified potentially areas for improvement Or growth and then allowing command to see things that they might not have seen previously is something that is unique to behavioral health officers.
1: Yeah, that's super unique. And I like what Tess had said, and which kind of was the climate assessment. And coming from educational environments like graduate school, we're very familiar with like a campus climate survey and a command climate survey is. I think it's a super valuable thing to be conducting. But what's really interesting and I think unique about being in the military is that is going to look so drastically different depending on what kind of unit you're in, what kind of training they're doing, and what is their career field. That's one of the really interesting things that I think, in my experience, I've had. You know, if you're working with military police, that's going to look. You know, your climate is going to look very different than if you're working with medical personnel in consulting for somebody in a med group or in an intelligence community. So whatever that does look like for each of you going forward is going to be super unique based on the population you're you're working with. And for Keen, right, he might be on a ship one day doing surveys like that and, and collecting information about what's going on on a floating city. So it's really interesting what we're able to do as providers in the military yeah
3: we as in military affiliated psychologists, and for listeners, you know it's just important for me to kind of highlight that Tess, Thomas myself, and Ethan will all trained as a clinical psychologist, but we're doing things that's beyond that realm, you know, like what Tess and Thomas was talking about the unit needs assessment that's very much like uh human performance uh, you know industrial organizational kind of level of a uh, task and and the fact that at bamsey at your training site they offer. Uh, campus rotation for you to train 68 x-rays uh, behavioral tech you know that's more like management and you know training and then there's family and child and neuropsych so it goes back to what i've uh, said before in this podcast that we are trained as a swiss army knife right you know we we are supposed to be, be able to do everything we have to be a clinician we have to be a researcher we have to be a leader we have to be an officer we have to be a um you know, administrator, you name it. And I think uh, that really highlights the uniqueness of us being in the military. And in this podcast, really just want to highlight, you know, army psychologists, the uh, the unique things that y'all do. And as a part of that, the training opportunities that that y'all have as well.
1: Keen, I, I don't mean to cut you off, but yeah. as you say those things, I like get a little anxious at times, you know, I'm <laughs> like, wow, that's a lot of stuff, you know? And I think, I think it's important to be real about the responsibility that we do have as providers in, in the military. We wear a lot of hats and mm-hmm. that at times can be challenging and stressful. I know I've experienced that. I'm sure you all have experienced that too. I'm wondering how you all have managed those stressful times, you know, those challenges that have come up in wearing, in wearing multiple hats. And Keen, you can answer that question too. I don't know what resonates with that question.
3: I'm really curious about Tess and Thomas's. I mean, I'm not sure if y'all uh, had the opportunity to, to go through uh, the campus rotation, but what was it like for you to be training another person while you're being supervised? I think that would be pretty nerve-wracking, you know, if I imagine.
0: Yeah what i was going to say like to put stuff on what all three of you kind of just talked about is that an additional hat if you will and i i just want to say this because i've gotten some questions from individuals who you know pick me up and are pursuing um army psychology is you're still an officer you know what i'm saying you're still a soldier so we still have to maintain the PT standards, the height and weight standards. We're still, you know, as embedded behavioral health professionals, we're going to be out there in the field with our organizations. We're going to be deploying with them if that's coming up on their cycle, if you will, or if they've come up on that cycle, we're going to be doing the the team building exercises, some ruck marches and things like that. So definitely be seeking those type of opportunities. If you do get the opportunity to go to these internship sites, you know, Learn what it is to be a soldier, weapons qualification, battle drills, things of that nature, because you will be expected to still be able to do those things when you get to those organizations. To your question about uh, managing stress, you know, I just have to again footstump on my cohort has just been a huge and tremendous support to me coming to Fort Sam Houston. I'd never been here before. I was raised as an officer in one really organization at First Information Operations Command and ENSCOM at Fort Belvoir. So I never saw all this other stuff other than, you know, going to different places for training and other exercises and things like that. So it's just been amazing getting to a place getting well acquainted with the battle buddies going out and doing things you know just for our leisure time and you know venting to them and learning with them it's been absolutely amazing and just being able to stay connected with people
2: yeah you know i echo Tessa's sentimentality about using the people around you i think that more often than not on the campus rotation specifically you know i would find myself using a lot of informal consultation with the other trainee who is there with me or with our supervisor, you know, just knocking on their door and saying, hey, I, I have something I'm not sure of. Can we talk about this? And, and everyone is always receptive. I think the biggest thing for me that I learned about, you know, joining the military from being a civilian is, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And if you're, you know, not comfortable asking, you'll never figure it out. So really just being open and understanding that there are going to be things that you're unaware of. And it's, you know, your job to to work to understand those those unknowns and then do your best to kind of move forward and figure out what all these new hats are potentially that you've never seen or had to wear before, like being an, an army officer. And then, you know, understanding what that means to you and those different responsibilities. But as far as taking care of yourself, I think that's also really important. I think as any kind of healthcare provider, you need to be able to take care of yourself before you can take care of others. So whether that's for you, you know, cycling, Ethan, I know you're an avid cycler, you know, we, we had done that a couple of times earlier in the beginning of the year. Mm -hmm. going to the gym, taking a night off and just watching a movie or treating yourself to a meal, whatever it is that keeps you filled and full of energy is really important because if you're not mission ready, you can't expect to help other people be mission ready.
1: Appreciate you guys sharing a little bit about You manage those things. And, you know, it's hard to talk about personal stressors and, you know, challenges that come up, but I think y'all nailed it self care and ask and get assistance by the people that are around you. And that's valuable advice for anybody in, in, in any field. And the graduate students listening, it's definitely something to do moving forward if you're not already doing it. I want to make a hard transition here. I know we were talking offline before we started recording this podcast about research opportunities. I'm wondering if you guys can bring any insights about if people aren't interested in being a clinical psychologist and they're like, I only want to do research. Are there opportunities for that in the Army? How do they get into that? If you're familiar with any of that?
0: Yeah, we actually... We did some research on our own uh, and give us some clarification on that. But yes, there is an actual research psychology billet. In the Army, we could say billet, meaning like job space for you to hold. And I actually just came from a course, a three-day virtual course, learning about the introduction of operational psychology into the Army. And we actually heard from a research psychologist, if you will, or research professional. I don't even think that like her formal training was in psychology. I think it was more so like in... Something else, it, something fancy. Um, but anyway, you know, she serves as a function of uh, to a you know special mission organization or one of those elite organizations such as our Rangers, special forces, things of that nature, researching individual needs, researching programs, researching policies, things like that to better inform the organization. So yeah, there are opportunities. I will say even at Brook Army Medical Center, it's also where the Army Stars program is housed. So if you're out there listening, You probably have read some article from the Army Stars. um, And if you haven't, definitely do. There's a lot of uh, lots of research uh, coming out of that. So anyway, being there at Brooke Army Medical Center, if that is something that you would like to pursue, we could surely get you in touch with somebody that could at least introduce you to someone and hear about the things that they're doing over there. And if, you know, once you get to the residency program, if that's something that's available and you getting involved with a project over there, I'm sure that we could try to figure something out.
1: What is the billet for the research psychologist position, the actual number?
2: I believe it's a 71F.
1: Okay. Foxtrot. Cool. Foxtrot, yeah, sorry. And for people that want to pursue that, is that just something they need to reach out to a recruiter to say, you know, I want to be a 71 Foxtrot and hook me up with that? Or do they have to go through the residency program and do the whole clinical thing?
0: For right now, I would say, yes, I'm reaching out to an Army psychology, I mean, it's, yeah, Army psychology recruiter mm-hmm. and, or, you know, just recruiter in general, and hopefully they can get you in touch with someone to get you some information about that. We are currently trying to uh, stand up, you know, something similar to like our Navy and Air Force counterparts about just all the information about how to enter, how does one pursue certain paths to enter the military by way of, you know, being a research psychologist or clinical psychologist. So that is forthcoming. And once we do have that up and running, we'll definitely get that out to Division 19 so that folks can look at that for sure. But as of right now, definitely reaching out to a recruiter to learn more about the 71 Foxtrot F Foxtrot Research Psychology Billet.
1: Yeah, and I think that, you know, that's most relevant to maybe the listener who's already got the degree, already done internship, already done postdoc, you know, past the phase of maybe the the graduate school training pipeline that that we all are kind of navigating and, and have gone through. So that is a group of people that we're definitely wanting to educate. So I uh, appreciate you, you sharing a little bit about that. I want to be mindful of y'all's time. I kind of want to ask, Sort of as we get close to the end here, if you had advice for graduate students who are thinking about pursuing this, getting into Army psychology, what would you share with them?
2: You know, Ethan, I, I actually want to backtrack a, a second and, and let you know there are routes to become a 70, uh, 73 Bravo. If you are already fully completed with school and graduate and an internship and fully licensed, you actually would assess on to active duty. as a fully qualified psychologist. So if there is that desire to join the military and join the army as a clinical psychologist, it's possible at that stage in your career too. Uh, It doesn't necessarily only have to be the graduate school pipeline. Brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. To your initial question, I think the thing that I would want potential applicants to know would be really making sure that serving is something that you're going to want to do and really understanding kind of the weight behind your decision to give that oath and You know, that understanding that you are going to be wearing multiple hats, you're not just going to be a clinical psychology professional, you're going to be a army health officer or army officer and soldier, and just the different kinds of responsibilities that go with that, and really understanding, you know, what it means to be in the military in general.
0: Yeah, I would just echo that, like I would say to the individual, and this is what I have said to individuals who have mentored or spoken to on an individual basis is what is your why? What is the purpose of you coming into the military? And what would be your purpose of being a military psychologist? As long as you're clear on what that why is, also knowing that it may change from time to time especially given you know, what organizations you go to. But at the foundation, what is the why? What's the purpose? Because that's what's going to keep you grounded. And honestly, that is what's going to help keep you motivated in doing this job. It's not an easy task. Just like any organization that you work for, you have the things that you have to deal with because that is what has been decided at the organizational level. And how are you going to navigate that? How are you going to respond to that and how are you going to best support the people that are working with and under you in the capacity of being an officer, in the capacity of being a leader, and then also in the capacity of being a clinician? How are you going to help individuals navigate that? And I think having a clear picture of what your why and what your purpose is will help you do that.
1: I really appreciate you sharing that test because that resonated with me a lot. As I heard you say that, it is like finding and trusting that why has been a process for me. I think for the listeners out there that are thinking about this, you might not know the answer to that. And I think that's okay. I have struggled with knowing myself you know how do i know the why that i think that i have in my mind is is it like what well, tells me that you know this is my why and this is why i'm doing this and you're right it does change and there are going to be times where frustration and anger <laughs> maybe with the system i think all of us can attest that at times the dod can create some of those emotions it can blur the why but i think that that's great advice for anybody it's easy well i shouldn't say it's easy but i think others might see it being easier to just jump into private practice or you know get trained and then work for an outpatient practice that is already well established and you know all you have to do is you know show up see your patients write your note and go home and as a psychologist there's that's very appealing and there are there are values and benefits to that but i think what's my this is my opinion here. I think what's really unique and and valuable as as being a a provider in the Department of Defense is you do get to wear those hats. You get to work with a group of people who you know are in stressful environments and are doing really hard work in high risk career fields, and that comes with some of these unique facets, like Aeromed evaluations and arming status for arming for military police or security forces officers and just, just such unique things i mean i'm i'm doing a horrible job at, at selling uh, some of these unique things but
0: no i i think you're actually starting,
1: it's really cool
0: yeah just to like jump in i mean yeah, i think you're doing a beautiful job at it. and <laughs> and what i would just add to that is yes you're expected to be a pilot you're expected to be what we call a ground pounder in the army and and doing these things that you probably would have never imagined to do and then expected to come back into society, expected to still maintain a family, expected to still maintain these relationships with people and be a normal, quote unquote, human being. Mm-hmm. Right. And so the fact that we as Army psychologists can help you with that that's my why. The why is that I can help these individuals do that. And if I can also influence some policy or procedure that can reduce the stigma towards coming to professionals like all of us on here, I'm going to do that.
1: Love it. Well, Keen, what do you think, man? Parting thoughts. This has been fantastic for me. I feel like I've learned so much today.
3: Yeah. Learned a lot about army psychology and really, I think, really just Echoing a few things that Tess and Thomas have said versus you don't know what you don't know in the sense that you may be listening to this podcast, you're not sure if being an army psychologist or being a military psychologist is for you. Seek out those opportunities. Uh, Division 19 has uh, plenty of those opportunities, plenty of people for you to talk to and network and even say, you know, Thomas and Tess both have uh, shared their personal uh, stories about why, they, why they're here. And learning from people like Thomas and Tess, maybe seek out opportunity like Thomas, you know, uh, work with the homeless population and maybe you'll you'll find your why, find your sense of purpose in that way. And we're here, you know, uh, talk to us. And if you ever have any questions about being a military psychologist.
1: Yeah. And please just check the bio for contact information and more information about how to get into this career field. Tess mentioned the Army is working to, to stand up. Information pipelines for people who want to get into this. And we'll have those resources readily available, whether you email us directly or check out our website and, you know, intel for that in the bio. To Captain Tracy and Captain Ballas, thank you so much for your time. Like I said, I learned a lot today, but I think whoever listens to this in the future will be well-equipped to move forward with their decision-making and be well-versed to go talk to a recruiter. So I just passionately thank you for your time and your service in the Army. I know it's just getting started for Captain Ballas, but Captain Tracy, you've been doing it quite some some time. So I appreciate you all being here and we look forward to future conversations.
0: Thank you so much for having us.
1: Yeah, of course. Ethan Keene, thanks a lot. It's been a pleasure. You got it.
0: And thank you for your thank you both for your service as well.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. All right y'all, well, take care and we will see you guys on the next episode of the Intro to Military Site podcast. Thanks so much.
3: Bye. thank you for your time for listening to our episode we hope this has been beneficial and educational and we would love to hear from you any questions any suggestions any feedback you can send that to our email at div19studentrep at gmail.com and that is div19studentrep as in rep at gmail.com for more information about our guest speakers and ways to reach out to them please check our podcast description and we do have other ways to reach out to us via social media, and Ethan has those information. And Ethan?
1: Yeah, so feel free to engage further with us on our social media platforms, Facebook and Twitter. You can search at Division 19 Students to find us on both of those platforms. We thank you for your engagement and listening to our podcast, and we look forward to you joining us on our next episode. Thanks. Take care.
3: 拜拜。